Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin. And now This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. 
And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEELS for an exclusive 35% off, and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEELS. Food Heals Podcast, episode 243. If you do have cravings come up, don't allow indulging the cravings to de-stress you or relax you. Get yourself relaxed first from that stress and then go ahead and indulge the craving. Because if you're in the heightened point of stress and you indulge the craving at the same time, you are linking stress to that food that you're craving. And you do not want to reinforce that. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. Welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. Today is a bonus episode because we had a really fun Facebook Live that we did in January that I wanted to share with you in case you weren't able to catch it live. So you may remember in 2018 that I quit sugar. Yes. Woohoo! So it's been like four months now. I'm still good. This is a miracle. Seriously. I mean, if you had told me this six months ago, I probably would not have believed you. And David Zappazzotti is the person who helped me quit sugar and have what he calls a brain flip. He was on episode 233 if you want to go back and check it out. And it's not just about sugar. David teaches us how to have brain flips so that you no longer have cravings, you no longer overeat, you learn to love exercise, and you really can lose that extra weight for good. So in the Facebook Live, we're going to go over all of that. We also talk about why you might be doing visualization wrong and the number one tip to succeed. We're going to talk about the difference between the sensory and the thinking brain and really why willpower alone is not effective. So I think that this brain flip has been one of the most revolutionary things that I've been able to achieve with my health in the last few years. I'm always trying to up level every year. I'm going, what can I do this year? That's different and better from last year. And this one is one of the biggest things I have overcome in recent years. It was very easy for me to give up a lot of things and I didn't struggle a lot and I've struggled with sugar for longer than I can remember. So the fact that I've done this really speaks to the power of what David is talking about and how if I can do it, you can absolutely do it too, because this was an addiction that I had for years. So that being said, I'm really excited to play the Facebook Live for you. I hope you enjoy it. Next up, my interview with David Zappazzotti. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. Hey, Food Heals Nation. We're here live. I'm going on a few minutes early so that we can get 
everyone starting to join. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really, really appreciate it. There's so much I want to cover, and there's so much I want to cover with David, who is my special guest. Food Heals Nation listeners, you might remember David. He's been on the podcast before, and he talked about brain flipping. So you can always put episode 233 on your to-do list to go back and listen to so we can get more in depth into some of these topics. But what we want to do today is talk about what's happened to me since I started working with David and doing the brain flips to completely quit sugar and to get rid of the hold that it really has had on me for so long and basically curb my addiction. So I had a sugar addiction, which I know a lot of people suffer from. And here I was this like holistic vegan eating all the right things, stuffing my face with salad, soups and smoothies and greens and all the good things. And then at night I was cheating or doing everything in moderation with my sugar. So whether it was cakes or cookies or brownies or anything like that. And so I really want to get into what I did to change and the person that helped me do this was David. So he'll be on with us quite shortly here. It's a brand new year. We probably all joined gyms or made resolutions. I prefer to make intentions, but at the same time, we set these ambitious resolutions and we say, new year, new me, right? And I'm of the camp where I say like, it's a new year, but let's just be better versions of the badass people we've always been instead of saying brand new me, because that's not really going to happen. And you don't want to be a new version of yourself. You just want to be a little bit better than you were the last year. And it's great to have goals, but resolutions don't really work. And sadly, only 3% of people who start a resolution in the new year to lose weight are actually successful. So that's kind of a big deal. We want to set resolutions or intentions that we can stick to. So instead of going with the usual, let me make a resolution, how about we have a brain flip? And that's what I did. And that's what David taught me how to do. So what he teaches is how to curb cravings, how to stop compulsive overeating, how to love exercise. And so in phase one, I learned how to cut my sugar addiction, which was the craziest thing that's ever happened because I've always been of the camp that I never thought that I would be able to curb this addiction. I always thought that this is with me for the rest of my life. Nothing has ever worked. I've been able to quit dairy, cold turkey, quit meat, cold turkey, quit other things like seafood, just quit, never went back to. And I was never able to do that with sugar until now. What's happened is it doesn't mean I can never have sugar again, but what's happened is that I've gotten to the point where I can have sugar, but I don't need sugar. And that's the biggest difference. And that is the brain flip, right? And so that's what I really want to talk about today. We're going to go through some things like how to have these brain flips. So loving exercise. So one way that you can learn to love exercise is by flipping your brain so that you don't dread it, so that you don't hate it. How to stop compulsive overeating. So I know a lot of us might eat until we're full and then keep eating because it takes 20 minutes for our brain to tell us that we are full. And so you could be eating into that 20 minutes and not realize I am so full right now and you keep eating and then you're wondering why you're feeling overweight, bloated, uncomfortable, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I know we had some questions come in earlier that I definitely want to make sure that we address. But to start with, I know a lot of people are doing mantras and meditations and things like that. And I really think that that is a great way to start. So 
when I wake up, something that I will say for money is money comes frequently and easily to me. For weight loss, you could say like, I feel amazing in my body. Um, My friend Nicole teaches people to love every single part of their bodies. And it's really about body positivity. And that's a really good step to start taking in this weight loss journey. Talking to yourself every morning, having a really solid morning routine, whether you're incorporating meditation and exercise, these are all tools. And then all of these things are in addition to having the total brain flip that hopefully we're going to have David on soon to um, get in on this. So I was able to quit sugar basically a few months ago after an addiction that I had had for many, many years. In fact, I don't remember a time where I didn't have an addiction to sugar. And what I mean by that is I was eating all the right things. I was having my salads and smoothies all day long. I'm vegan, and so I eat very clean, whole foods, plant-based. But at night, the cravings would consume me. And I tried a lot of things. I tried all of the things that are on the market today, including meditation, which I still think works, but it just never got me to that next level. I tried (coughs) my teeth as soon as I ate so that I would have like a toothpaste taste in my mouth, but then Ben and Jerry's still taste better than my toothpaste. I don't understand why anyone would think that that would work, right? And so here I am, I'm trying everything I could possibly try and nothing was working. And I had pretty much given up. I was like, okay, you know what? I eat so healthy that my sugar addiction doesn't matter. But the truth is my sugar addiction did matter because it was taking a toll on my life. Um, My sugar addiction was becoming something that had control of me instead of me having control of it. And right now, today, you know, January 2019, woohoo, happy new year. I'm happy to say that sugar no longer has a hold on me. And I've gotten to a place with David's help of doing this brain flip where now I can have sugar, but I don't need sugar. So it doesn't mean I can never have it again. Over Christmas time, my girlfriend specifically made me a vegan pie. And she was like, you're off sugar. You you have to try my vegan pie. And I was like, of course, I'm going to try it. It doesn't mean that you can never have sugar again. But for me, what it meant was I could have it, enjoy it a small amount and not feel like I had to eat the entire thing. And so David is the person that Help me with that. And so let's welcome David to this Food Heals Nation Facebook Live. David, what's up? Thank you so much for having me. Now, you are on one of our episodes. Tell anyone who's watching or listening right now, in case they haven't heard of you, who you are and what you do. Okay, so my name's David Zappazzotti. I've been a health and wellness professional for over 23 years, and I've specialized in weight loss pretty much the entire time. And uh, what I do now is completely radical. It's completely like the opposite of what you see in the health industry today. Basically, I work especially with weight loss people. And what I do is I tell them to stop exercising when they first start working with me. And I want them to go and buy the junk foods that they have the strongest cravings for because they're going to eat them several times a day. So when I started working with David, I have to interrupt. He's like, stop exercising and eat more junk food. And I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. It does work. So we brain flip it in a way that makes you completely free and you know you're free. And then those struggles. So I don't know if you know this, Allison, but I still think it is. But the most popular TED talk is a talk on like finding your why, like starting with your why. It's Simon Sinek. And I'm a fan of Simon Sinek. I think he does great work. But that's not true for everyone. Not everyone is ready to start Mm -hmm. with their why. I look at it sort of like 
I actually sort of look at it like martial arts because I'm a martial artist. When energy is coming in one direction, I just let it keep coming and I just sort of direct it, the energy. So if a person comes to me and they're completely in pain, like they have emotional struggles, they have a lot of ba- emotional baggage, I don't try to get them excited about a why that's really hard for them to get involved in emotionally. I just deal with the pain that they come with to me with right in that moment because it's easy to focus on that. They're surrounded by it. So that's why I tell people stop exercising because most people when they are trying to lose weight or they're struggling with this stuff, they don't want to exercise. So I'm like, just stop it. And then the, the struggles, the things that you have a struggle with, we're going to actually face them. To be honest with you, I think that this is a, a good time. We talked about this before we got on, but it's a good time to talk about this because New Year's resolutions just occurred. I purposely don't reach out to my email list like people think I'm nuts, but I don't really reach out to people when it's New Year's. And the reason why is because I don't want to work with you when you're excited and when you're like, yeah, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change this year. And then a few weeks later, once the inspiration wears off, that's where I insert myself. That's where I want to get with people. Because here's the thing. When, when people set New Year's resolutions, the reason that most people don't have success with them, it's not because they're not dedicated or they're not committed or any of those kinds of things. It's because they've got these things weighing them down at the same time. That, so they're trying to go in this direction, but they've got these things weighing them down in the other direction. And there's only so long that you can hold yourself in inspiration while that's occurring before it starts to fade. And that's what happens with people and why they don't reach their goals. So this is good because we're going to talk with people about brain flipping their struggles so that the goals that they do have for their New Year's resolutions, they can actually stick to them. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. That's what we'll, we'll talk about today. Does that sound good? That sounds amazing. Does that sound good? Hit us with an emoji if that sounds good. So, David, I know I promised Food Heals Nation quite a few things tonight, including some of the top ways that they can start curbing their cravings right away. So we're going to get to that at the end. But can you take us through what the three brain flips are? And I know we talked about this on the podcast, so I just want to say we're going to go through it. But then if you want more information, just go listen to David's episode. Right. Okay, so... With weight loss, I'm just going to, I know that not everyone listening to this has a weight loss goal, but it's still going to apply no matter what your goal is. Most people, when they're trying to lose weight, the reason that they don't have success and what almost every program out there is doing is they're focused on trying to help you to lose weight so that you can transform your life, right? You want to lose all the weight so then life will be great. It doesn't work that way. What you got to do is you got to transform your life and then you lose the weight. It has to be in the opposite direction. So in most programs, the reason that they do that is because they, the reason that they're focused on like having you see weight loss right away is because they want you to feel confident, like feel safe and secure that their program works. If you're losing the pounds, that shows like it's confirmation that, yeah, this is going to work for you. In most cases, that's not the case. They'll lose the weight, but they'll gain it back. Right. And you could also do that by starving yourself and you'd be like, oh, instant results. But that's not a sustainable way to lose weight. And that's what people are preying on. The fact that I have a system where you can lose five pounds in five days. And sure, it might work for five days, but it's not going to be a sustainable lifestyle. Absolutely. And in almost 99, I think 97% of cases, the way people are losing it is completely unsustainable, which is why there's less than a 3% success rate for weight loss in our country. All right, so it's an abominably, I don't know if that's the right word, but like an astronomically (laughs) low 
percentage. It's horrible, yeah. right? So what I do is I help people to transform their life and then lose the weight. Now, the way that we transform the life is to focus on the struggles head on first that prevent weight loss. And then we focus on the weight loss itself. So the first two brain flips that take people through cravings and overeating, those resolve the struggles. After they've done that, then the third brain flip is the body brain flip where we actually, so with the first two brain flips, we're brain flipping the foods that they have struggles with that create an overweight body. With the third brain flip, we're brain flipping the overweight body itself, okay? But we have to do the other two first before we can do that one. The first Uh, one's cravings, as you know, because you've done that, and then overeating, and then exercise. Now, with cravings, cravings is the first one. I know that on our podcast, we talked a lot. We got a little bit more into like the sensory brain, the thinking brain. We're going to get into those here, too. There will be some overlap, but I'm going to talk about cravings. I want to talk about it in the beginning in the same way that like if you're dealing with a bully, And I know that I I think I mentioned this in the podcast, but I want to go a little bit more in depth with it here because I think it's something that a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. Cravings are like bullies, all right? So with a bully, the only way, if you think about like how you can be free of a bully, all right, you can't be free by avoiding the bully because even though you might be able to avoid a confrontation, You've always got to take an alternate route. You always got to watch your back. You've always got to like keep your eye out for something that could happen. And that's not freedom. That's just a sucky life to have to live that way, right? right? But if you go on the other side and you were somehow able to beat the bully up, all right? If you were able to conquer the bully, that would not necessarily solve your problems because then even if that happens, you still got to watch your back because he might be pissed off and he might get his friends and gang up on you when you're not looking. Um, I think it was Shay had in the comments on the event, she said, uh, sugar's my enemy. And you're right. And I said that in the comments, I said, be prepared to make it your friend. Because what we've got to do yeah. is we've got to treat it the same way we've got to treat a bully. We've got to stand up to the bully in a way that lets them know that we mean business, that we're not going to be pushed around. But we've got to do it in a way that brings about respect and if you've ever seen someone that was bullied and then they get the bully's respect, they oftentimes become friends afterwards. So we've got to make the bully our friend, all right? We can't do that by avoiding them, and we can't do it by, like, trying to fight them, okay? Because when we're fighting them, we can't really become free in that way. Now, with a bully, there's all kinds of pain around that situation. If you're Before the confrontation happens, you're using primarily avoidance, okay? You're trying to take alternate routes. You're trying to find different ways to not face that person. It's the same thing with cravings, right? Before the actual indulgence, we're primarily using avoidance. We're trying to use discipline. We're trying to use willpower. We're trying to do things so that we don't have to come into contact with that thing that we don't want, ice cream, chocolate, whatever it ends up being. Now, on the other end of it, with a bully, if we actually have a confrontation and they pick on us, they beat us, they call us names, whatever, then we feel ashamed, we feel like a failure, we feel bad about ourselves. It's the same thing with indulging, right? We indulge and then we beat ourselves up, we use negative self-talk, we feel guilty, ashamed, all these kinds of things. It's the same exact thing. It's no different. All right. So when these programs out there, these weight loss programs and these like sugar addiction programs are trying to get you to stop eating the food, that is guaranteeing that you will not get to the root of the problem. The only way to get to the root of the problem is to eat the sugar. You got to eat it. Okay. But you've got to eat it in a different pattern, in a different way than you've eaten it before. 
Now, Allison, you've gone through this, and you know, like, it's a completely different pattern. Thing. It is nothing that you're expecting. Right. <laughs> so do you want to share a little bit, or do you want me to, to get into the experience, or do you want to share a little bit of your own? Sure, I'm happy to share. Okay. When we went through how we were going to do this, David really took me into, like, my deepest, darkest fears, like the things that I didn't want to deal with, the things that I was avoiding, the things that I was judging about myself, um, some of the trauma that I was still holding on to. And it was almost like, what's the worst thing that could happen if this? <coughs> David would ask me questions and I'd be like, I don't want to tell you the answer to that because it's personal and it's hard. But this is the reason I was eating the sugar. This is the reason that I was avoiding something. So all of the things that I was avoiding and the worst possible outcome that could come out of them was what I had to face while I'm eating the sugar. <laughs> right. So here's how this applies to the analogy. And I know that we talked a lot about the sensory brain and the thinking brain before. With the bully analogy, I want to go back to that for a second. We've got all this pain surrounding the confrontation. But when we can go into that confrontation, self-assured and confident, and like stand up for ourselves. It completely obliterates all the pain around it. And it's the same thing with cravings. When we have a, let's say we have a craving for ice cream, okay? We've got the pain before eating it of the avoidance, the discipline, the willpower, like trying to struggle to stay away from it, escape from it. And we've got the pain afterwards of the guilty, ashamed, all that kind of stuff. All those things are in the domain of what I call your thinking brain, and meaning that like you can cognitively tell that you're in pain, Okay. But when you're actually eating it, this is where the issue is. When you're actually eating it, anyone who has a sugar addiction, think about like, all right, so let's say it's ice cream, okay? You've been struggling to not eat it for so long. And then eventually you make a decision and you're just like, screw it. I'm just going to eat it. Now you yeah, see what? Who hasn't been? Right. Now you see what just happened? Like in that moment where I say, screw it, I take a deep breath and I just relax, all right? And then when I eat, I'm relaxed. I'm like, it's helping me to relax. That relaxation is the problem. That's the core of the problem. People are trying to deal with sugar addiction everywhere else except for in the core of the problem. The core of mm -hmm. the problem is in the point of indulgence. So what we need to do is we need to take that relaxation completely away. We need to create pain in that moment, and that will eradicate it. It will actually destroy all the pain around it. So that's what we do. We create a pain tool. That's what the first brain flip is. We create a pain tool, which is an audio recording that goes through like several stages of how your life could go downhill in the worst possible yep. ways if you don't solve these problems, right? If you don't lose the weight, if you never like solve this issue, what's going to happen? Could you get diabetes? Could you, your kid get married and they look over and you're not there because you're not alive anymore? Like your husband's with a, another wife, like, and he's there and sad. Like, what are the worst things you end up in a home with someone wiping your butt because you can't do it yourself? What are the worst things that could possibly happen? I actually have a specific formula. Allison, you know this. I have a very specific formula that I guide people through creating a pain tool in a very specific way that it's not just enough to create something that's painful and listen to it while you're eating it. You have to create it in a way that the pain tool itself will be transformed while your cravings are transformed. That's the key. Because when the pain tool at the end becomes completely unpainful, you will no longer have any more cravings anymore. So that's what ends up happening in the first brain flip. You become free. It's an honor to be able to do this work, to have people go through this. And, you know, Allison, I, I don't know if you remember, but it was really painful for you. It is for just about everybody. 
right? But like at the, yeah. on the other end of it, you're like, oh my God, I actually don't have cravings anymore. Like for those listening, like you would think, you know, most health professionals are like, get the food out of the house. I tell people, okay, you had a brain flip, put the food on the counter. I want you to keep it there for a week. I want you to like have it in front of you. I want to test. I want to make sure. Like I want everyone else around you, if they're eating it, awesome. Like let everyone in your family eat it. Who cares? If you're free of it, it will make no difference to you, whatever. And that's what we end up doing. Well, it's so interesting because like I was self-aware enough to know that my cravings and my dessert addiction, I'll call it sugar addiction, was emotional. And so it was either a reward at the end of the day for hard work and or avoidance of pain that I did not want to feel. So like many of you watching or listening, I've had trauma in my life. And while I've done the best job that I can at dealing with that trauma and healing myself with so many different tools, um, there was still pain there. And I'm not going to say that there isn't pain there, but it's, it's lessening and lightening every year, the more that I work on myself. And so what I was doing was the end of the day was either happy celebration time because great job, you killed it today, let's celebrate with some chocolate cake. Or it was, well, today was great or bad, but I'm depressed now because I'm still sad about, for me, it's I lost my parents to cancer in my 20s and it's not fully healed and I have a lot of trauma from what I went through during that time. And so that depression would hit me hard. And the only thing that would make me feel better at the time was getting to the bottom of a pint of Ben and Jerry's. And even though I knew that there was no solace or peace at the bottom of the pint, and there never will be, I knew that consciously, I wasn't able to consciously stop. This is why when I heard David's approach, I was like, well, this is unlike anything I've ever heard or tried because I would use willpower. I would use meditation. I was able to stop for periods of time, but never for a long enough period of time to actually change my behavior. And it took a few months and I'm not going to say that it was easy, but it also wasn't as hard as you would think. And so I just want to put that out there right now. Like change isn't easy, but now I'm free. And so I'm so grateful for the time that I did go through the pain because now I'm free and I know that anyone can be free of their addiction. And mine was sugar. Yours could be chips. Yours could be alcohol. I don't know. Everyone has different. I don't have the salty thing. You may not have the sugar thing. So it just depends. Everyone's different. But to be free of that is a feeling that I didn't actually ever think I would experience. And so that's why I think this is revolutionary. Absolutely. And, you know, and there's something important you said there. Like you knew you're a very self-aware person and, and there's a lot of people. I have a lot of people that come to me and they're like, I know exactly what my problem is. I know exactly like mm-hmm. why I'm addicted to it. Like I know exactly what I need to do. And I'll tell them, I'm like, you know what? You're probably right, but it doesn't matter because it's not your thinking brain can't solve this problem. Think of it this way. It's the same as this. Allison, if you and I had never, ever eaten an apple before and we have no idea what it tastes like, And I decide to go to Apple University. I go and study and I get my doctorate in apples. And I know like the texture and the taste, the agricultural effects, like the weather patterns. Like I know all this stuff about apples and you don't do any of that. You just bite into an apple, all right? I might be able to talk circles around you in terms of knowing about apples, but who actually knows the taste of an apple? I do. So it doesn't matter how much I know. I have to have the direct experience to actually be able to embody that change of knowing firsthand what it is. 
It's the same thing with this. You can know why you have cravings, but the only way that you're going to change it is by doing the reverse of what happens in your everyday life when you're actually indulging the cravings. So if you have cravings and you indulge them and it brings you a sense of connection, you need to create a sense of disconnection when you're indulging the craving. If it brings you a sense of love or peace, it needs to bring you stress and pain. It needs to do the opposite. Right. Now, when you do that, believe it or not, and this is going to sound completely paradoxical, but when you insert pain into that indulgence, you are starting the process of becoming friends with the sugar addiction. Here's the great thing about it. Your addiction right now, when you have a sugar addiction, right now all you see is pain. It's a source of suffering. But what it actually becomes when you master it, it becomes the source of your greatest strength. You'll be able to do stronger things after you've brain flipped that craving than you're able to do right now. And I told Allison, listen, I told Allison before we even started working together, I was like, listen, you're a podcast host, you have influence, you talk to a lot of people. I'm going to tell you right now, when you're through with this process, you're going to be able to help people in a way that you can't help them right now. I'm sure you help people in tremendous ways. You're just going to add more to your arsenal that you aren't able to do right now by being free of this addiction. And she is. Yeah, no, I agree because it's like I have been on this mission to spread the word of holistic health and healing and alternative ways to heal in a plant-powered diet. But if I can't conquer sugar, I sure as heck can't help someone else who has the addiction. And so now I'm in a place where I can, and that's pretty much why we're doing this Facebook Live, because I'm like, I did it, you can do it too. Oh my God, everyone needs to know about this. So when I have a new discovery, I like to shout it from the rooftop. So I know that's why we're here. And I know anyone else who's listening or watching that has dealt with the fact that you are overeating or addicted to something or lacking exercise and you know it's emotional and you know it's avoidance, this is something that can work for everyone. We're going to go into, at the end of this Facebook Live, what are some things, I said three things you can do right now to curb addiction, but David says he has more. But before that, David, can you talk a little bit about the second phases of the brain? Yeah, so the overeating. But actually, before I cover the overeating, I want to take a step back because I know that some of the listeners here have not heard our podcast, so they might be wondering, okay. okay, well, how do I form an association that ice cream equals connection or chocolate equals love or, or relaxation? It's like Pavlov's dogs, okay? So we've all, and when we were in school, we studied, we probably heard about associative conditioning at some point or another. Pavlov's dogs, where he would ring a bell and give the dogs food, right? And he would do yeah. that simultaneously. He'd do them both at the same time. And what happened is that the dogs would link the two together. And when he would ring the bell eventually, without their food being even there, the dogs would salivate, even yeah. though there wasn't food, was okay? So basically, what that means, associative conditioning means that two things that are not normally linked together can be linked together just by them happening at the same time repeatedly, okay? So that's what happens this is not something that we're conscious of. Like we could be at a high school dance and we could fall in love with someone and some song is playing. And then later on, a year later, when we had a horrible breakup, we hear that song and it makes us feel sad. It's because we, on some level, connected that song to that feeling of being in love. And we might not have even known we were doing it at the time. But then later, once we've broken up and we brain flip that person because we love them, now we hate them, same thing happens with the song. Okay, it's brain flips in our head. Oh 
my God. I have those songs from like middle school. <laughs> right. So, so it's, it's just like that. So like if a person, when they were younger, if they were upset, their mom would give them ice cream and they'd eat the ice cream while they were feeling better. Those two would get linked together and ice cream equals feeling better. Like whenever they did good and they were praised for it and they got junk food, ice cream equals praise or chocolate equals praise or like it equals something like, or acceptance. Like when you do something good and your parents give you candy, it's like candy equals acceptance. So this isn't something that's thinking brain. This is the sensory brain experience. Sensory brain has nothing to do with your thought. It's just the actual experience you're having when you're indulging the food. So this is why later on in life you can be indulging this food and still having that sensory experience but have all pain around it because your sensory brain can't register this thinking brain pain, okay? I just want to quickly backtrack and and mention that. Um, If anyone's confused, I know I sort of went through that quick because we've already covered it, but if anyone's confused, just like, let us know in the comments. And we'll do a Q&A at the end. So if you have like a really specific question, we can definitely get into Absolutely. it. All right. So overeating, you're asking about overeating now. Overeating is another one that you can form the association when you're a kid. Like you might have been sitting there at the dinner table and you might have been ready to get down and your, your dad says, no, you got to eat the rest of your food or you're going to be in trouble. So you sure. stuff yourself because you have to eat it so that you'll be safe. Eating to fullness equals safe. Once again, not thinking brain. You're not consciously doing this. But then later on in life, you're eating until you're full and you don't know why, but you do it instinctively, like compulsively. It's because of that kind of association is formed. With the overeating brain flip, it's a little different from cravings because with overeating, the issue isn't so much about the taste of the food in your mouth, but more about the quantity or the fullness of the food in your belly. So what we want to do with an overeating brain flip, it's different from a craving. With a craving, we just indulge the craving and we listen to a pain tool and it changes the whole relationship of the food to our sensory brain. All right, it reprograms it. So basically, when a person is compulsively overeating, I have them split their food into two portions and I have them do the first portion in a good state And I have them do the second portion with the pain tool in a negative state. But they've got to have the same exact foods on both plates because we've got to balance out the equation. We don't want to brain flip specific foods. We want to brain flip the quantity of food. So if we're starting on the first portion and it's a small quantity of food, that's positive. And then when we get to the second portion where we're getting more full, that becomes negative. So we're training the sensory brain that going to overly full equals pain instead of equaling a reward, like where you're safe from pain, it equals actually pain itself. And so the overeating brain flip, it takes a shorter period of time. The cravings brain flip usually takes about six to 10 days to be like through it and like mastering it at that point by 10 days. Overeating can happen like five to seven days. I've I've had overeating happen as short of a time as three days, but that's usually when they've had a cravings brain flip first. But I have had people have a, a three, even do three days in an overeating without even having done a cravings brain flip. It can happen very quickly because there's such a difference, like you're sort of going from positive to negative. It's such a drastic shift that it can happen faster because of that. Yes. And um, to be clear, what's happening is you literally have yourself in your own ear, talking about the worst case scenario that can happen if you continue along this path. And that's what makes it so effective is because 
I'm hearing my future self if I continue down the path of doing this, whether it's overeating, eating too much sugar, or whether for someone else it's chips or whatever it may be for you, then that is creating the scenario that you know you don't want. And so you're telling your brain that while you're doing this, this is what you're going to get. So then your brain flips. And that's what I think is brilliant and, and different than anything I had heard before. I know, Laura, you're asking about exercise. That is definitely number three on David's list. Okay. Actually, the third brain flip I call the body brain flip. Because with this one, what we're doing, with the first two, we're brain flipping the struggles, the cravings and overeating, the struggles that bring about an overweight body. With the third one, mm-hmm. we're, now that the struggles are gone, like now that that extra baggage, that emotional baggage is, has disappeared, we now have to deal with a single most important program in the sensory brain that we need to reprogram. In fact, everything that we've done up to this point, all the cravings and overeating brain flips we've done up to this point leads to this one last program. And that program, it's different from the other ones because with the other ones, they could be formed like in the past and they bring about being overweight in the future. With this one, it's a program that is continually being reinforced day in and day out when we're overweight. And what that program is, is that overweight equals being safe. And the reason that the sensory brain would equate over being overweight to being safe is because it's familiar. It's happening day after day. If you're overweight, okay, if you're overweight, you're experiencing the physical sensations in your sensory brain of being overweight day after day after day, and you're also experiencing being alive day after day after day. So being overweight equals being alive. It links the two together because they're happening simultaneously, all right? That's fascinating, but yeah, it makes total yeah. sense. So what we need to do is we need to reprogram the sensory brain where feeling light equals being alive rather than being heavy equals being alive. So to do that, what I do is I have people create a vision tool. And a vision tool is exactly the same thing as the pain tool. It's no different, but it's in the exact opposite direction. So instead of like looking in the pain tool, you might be gaining weight over time. In the vision tool, you're losing weight. In the pain tool, you might be getting diabetes or high blood pressure or have a heart attack. In the vision tool, your life is getting better and more fulfilled and more connection and love and excitement and all these things. It's like the best that you can imagine happening as you reach your goal weight. All right. And what I have people do is I have them record that and then they're listening to that. First, I have them listen to it stationary. All right. And the reason why is because they've got to be able to imagine. They have to like close their eyes and imagine the stuff in the vision tool. They have to imagine it so much that they can actually feel the physical sensations. Because here's the great thing about the sensory brain the sensory brain, because it has no capacity to think, it doesn't know if what you're experiencing is real or imagined if you're actually feeling it. It thinks it's real if you're actually feeling it because it has no thinking capacity to make the distinction between imagined and real. All right, so if you can make it real enough where you can actually feel it in your imagination, then your sensory brain will reprogram that that is your reality, all right? And so I have them start with that where they're feeling what they're visualizing, all right? They're envisioning it and they're feeling themselves in that place After they've gotten to a point where they're sufficiently adept at doing that, like good at doing that, I will then have them do it with exercise. Now, the vision tool is only about four to five minutes long, like four minutes or five minutes long. That's it. So what I have them do is I only have them exercise for the length of time of the vision tool. And I know some people listening to this might say, oh, that's not enough time to get a good workout. 
It's not supposed right. to be. In the beginning of starting with exercise, your goal is not to get a good workout. Your one and only goal is to experience a feeling of embodied envisioning lightness and linking that to exercise simultaneously. That's all you're trying to do. You're just trying to create a new association with exercise. And as you create that association, exercise will become more and more enjoyable, even if you hate it right now. All right. Yeah. And so you're just going to do it for four or five minutes. And I have some people like they'll do it three or four times a day or two or three times a day. If they have access to a stationary bike or something like I have them do it with their eyes closed in the beginning. So they've got to do like a stationary bike or a treadmill where they can hold on to the sides. It can't be anything where they're like no free weights or yoga, like nothing where it's dangerous if they have their eyes closed. They have to be able to do it with their eyes closed. So they're going to do that until they've linked it and exercise like when they want to exercise more, like they genuinely really want to do it. When they're sufficiently excited about it, I let them drop the vision tool and then they can start exercising for longer periods of time at that point. But then when that happens, it's going to be different from when they've done it in the past. It will actually help them to lose weight because now their brain is reprogrammed that being light equals being alive, okay? So this is why like you see some people that are skinny as a stick and they can eat everything on the face of the earth and they gain no weight and another person touches a half a piece of bread and they gain 10 pounds. It's because their sensory <laughs> brain is programmed a certain way. It's your, pro, your sensory brain is going to affect your metabolism, your hormone levels, like whatever your cravings, it, it affects all those things. Whatever struggles you have with your health, your sensory brain is the domain that controls that. It's the control center for all of those things. So when we brain flip with our vision tool and we link that to exercise, we're starting to feel the body like in that lighter body. I also, I don't know if you know this, Allison, because you haven't, we haven't worked on the third brain flip with you yet, but I don't allow people to weigh themselves the way that they normally weigh themselves. So the way that people normally weigh themselves is they do it in timed intervals, okay? So they might weigh themselves every week or every two weeks or every day if they're obsessed with it. And the scale can be a big problem for a lot of people. With my people, when I work with them, I tell them in the beginning, I want them to weigh themselves so I know what their initial weight is. And then I don't have them weighing themselves again until they get to the third brain flip. But the way that they do it is, so in the vision tool, they go through certain stages. Like if they're 300 pounds, their next stage might be 250, then 200, then maybe 150. Well, I have them envisioning so intensely that they are waiting until they feel like their body is 250 before they weigh themselves to see if they're actually there. Okay? Mm. So now what they're doing is that they're going to use their scale as a gauging mechanism to see how strong they're visualizing rather than as the most horrible thing it could be as a way of labeling yourself as a failure if you don't have the weight that you think you should have or if you've gained weight or any of those kinds of things. So everything about the way I do this is completely different from the way people are normally doing it. So it's, it's reprogramming the scale at the same time it's reprogramming exercise because they're no longer using it as a source of like their sense of self-worth. They're doing it as a sense of gauging how strong their ability to visualize is, which is completely not like something that they're going to be a success or a failure at. They just get better as they keep doing it. Yeah. And I, it's so interesting to hear like, that's why some people eat bread and have no problems. And others are like, I can't touch bread. And it's like kind of funny, like everyone's gluten-free. And if you have celiac, of course, and sometimes you do have an allergy, but at the same time, like 
if you are mentally allowing it to affect you physically and you don't even know you're doing it, once you become aware that you can actually change that, then you have freedom to eat more foods more comfortably. Yeah. Oh, and that was a question that was asked in the, in the, Facebook, yeah, in group? the Facebook group. It was, uh, was it Cindy? Is that her name? Or Mindy? She was asking, like, is this an all or nothing thing? Like, if I brain flip alcohol or chocolate or something, does that mean I never eat it again? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that you're free. Like, think of it this way. Like, if you don't have any kind of attachment to carrots or celery, is it all or nothing with those things? Like, do you have to eat them every day or not eat them at all? It's like, no. If you want to eat them, you eat them. If you don't, you don't. That's how it is with this. It literally is freedom. Freedom is not the same as being repulsed by something. When you're repulsed by something, you still have an attachment to it. That's why there's a repulsion because right. they go against each other. Freedom means that it literally has no charge of you whatsoever. And while we were going through the process, I um, had a period of time where I did have a revulsion to the ice cream and cake that I was eating. And you said, well, you're not done yet. And I was like, yes, I am. I hate it. <laughs> But now I'm at a place where I don't hate it, I just don't need it. And that was the last part of the flip, I think. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because when I work with people through these brain flips, like my days are filled with people telling me like, please, I'm done eating this junk food. I don't want to eat it anymore. And I'm like, no. And you went right. through that. Like you were, you wanted, you're like, I think I'm done now. I'm like, no, you're not done yet. Like I know, I know, I know when you'll have the brain flip. Like it's, it's very obvious to me. And, and actually, you know too, like you know now once you've actually had it, you know that you're free at this point because you don't have to stay away from it. Like you don't have to avoid it or not. You're not afraid of having it and like getting out of control because you actually become conscious of your mechanisms around how you do these things. The process of brain flipping shows you all of the different mechanisms about how you create this attachment. And once you know them, you don't go back. It's like a lot of people ask me like, well, could I gain the cravings back or like, could I gain the weight back? And I'm like, well, could you unlearn how to read? Could you get yourself to unlearn to forget how to read? And in most cases, most people would say, no, they, I mean, I don't know anyone that could actually, I don't know how I'd unlearn how to read. It's the same thing. Like once you know how to do it, like once you're riding that bike, you can't just like accidentally fall down anymore. Like you just know how to do it, you know? And once you said to me, it was like the computer program, when you install the new software, I can't go back to the old software, something like that. And I was like, oh. Well, that's the great thing about the sensory brain is because the sensory brain isn't in the realm of the thinking brain, there's no thought capacity. The the sensory brain doesn't register time because time, Mm -hmm. it takes two points to have time, now and there, like past, future, this point, that point. There has to be two in order for there to be time. The sensory brain knows nothing about time. The the sensory brain is like an infant. It can see, it can smell, it can taste, it can touch, it can feel, but it has no thoughts about those things. It's just one with those things. The sensory brain is just like that. So when the sensory brain gets reprogrammed, you might have had a craving for soda for decades. And I think I shared that story on... uh, our episode, like a woman I worked with that had drank eight to 10 sodas for 30 years, five days later, never had soda again. And people are like, well, how is that possible? Like, how could that be the case? It's because it's like a computer program in the sensory brain. She stopped drinking soda by drinking soda. We had her drink the soda in a different pattern. And that changes the sensory brain program 
that's different from when you're using willpower. Like all the thinking brain stuff, it's a different game. It's a different realm in that area with the sensory brain. When you do it there, you get a different kind of result entirely. And it is like a computer program. You can have a computer program that runs for a million bazillion years. You go in and you change the code, bam, it instantly puts out a new output and it never goes back. It doesn't matter how long it was running it before, it never goes back. Same thing. I feel like that was part of the thing that got me. I was like, oh, that makes sense. It never goes back. Yeah. That's huge because you always think well, I can fall back on my old ways. Yeah. That's like willpower. Well, willpower works only for so long. And then usually we go back to our old ways. So this is the opposite of that where you literally don't go back to your old ways. Yeah. Th- this is an exciting time. I'm, I feel like truly honored. Like I, there's nothing in the world on this planet I'd rather be doing than what I'm doing right now because my goals are brain flipping the obesity epidemic. My daughter's three years old, I'm 43. My daughter's my age. Obesity will be a rarity or it will not exist on this planet. That's amazing, I believe in it. I really, really believe in what you're doing. So um, we promised Root Heals Nation a few things. I would love to talk about what we're doing wrong when we're trying to manifest and meditate and all of that stuff, because I know that you have um, some opinions yeah. on that. So a lot of people are into like the law of attraction and using vision boards and stuff like that. Right. And there, there's something that's very important that people need to understand in terms of like when you actually do this, what you want to do is you want to envision in a way that actually reprograms your sensory brain because that will create what you want. But if you don't do it in a way that reprograms the sensory brain, it won't happen. So let me give you an example, Okay. Let's say a person wants to be an amazing public speaker, right? Well, what they don't want to do is they don't want to envision themselves on stage speaking to an audience because your sensory brain doesn't register that as real because that's not how it would actually be in your real true life experience. Your true life experience would be you standing on the stage looking out over the whole crowd. That's what you would want to envision, so instead of seeing myself, like I'm in the audience up there, I need to be up there seeing the audience. Yes. Instead of seeing it from a third-person perspective, you need to see it from a first-person perspective. Got and it. I think of this in like any area. Like if someone's in business and they want to make money and they have an aerial shot of a house that they want, well, on a day-to-day basis, would they be seeing their house from an aerial shot? No. They'd probably be seeing it like coming up the driveway. This applies to any kind of goal that people have. If they want to lose weight, all right, and they want a skinny body, they need to experience life out of the skinny body rather than looking at the skinny body, okay? So that's how they should be envisioning things. They should be envisioning, if they want to envision seeing something like maybe putting their leg up and stretching it and seeing this nice skinny leg that is coming out from your body, you want to be seeing it from the way that you would actually truly see it when it's real. So if I'm envisioning myself with the hot six pack, I should be looking down and seeing it this way. I shouldn't be seeing it from over here. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to see it in a mirror, that's okay. But you want to make sure that you actually can see a mirror with it because then your sensory brain will, will register the, the mirror along with the image. And I don't typically recommend people to start with a mirror because that's difficult to do. I was just going to say, the secret never taught me this, David. No, they usually don't. I mean, I believe in law of attraction. I believe that we create what we focus on. I don't believe that we create what we want. I believe that we create what we are. 
What I mean by that is if a person's 300 pounds and they want to be 165, well, if they're envisioning getting to 165, okay, then what happens is that the sensory brain programs them that they are moving toward 165, but they never get there. Like, it's always a process of trying to get there rather than being there. Whereas if they were to focus on, bam, I am 165, and they, but they've got to focus on it so much that they can physically feel it because the sensory brain, it's sensory. It needs the sensory experience. It's not just visual. Imagine if you're one, 300 pounds, if you're a 150-pound body right now, just imagine if you're half your body weight. What would it be like if you were looking out of your own eyes? Like, how would your body feel while you're looking out of those eyes? What would you be doing? Like, how would you actually physically feel? That's what you want to do in that vision tool is you want to feel it when you're envisioning that life. That makes so much sense, seeing it from your own eyes, from your own perspective than from anywhere else. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like that's not being taught enough. And I get religious about it too. And so like in my program, I talk with people about the will of God and like all kinds of stuff like their will versus God's will. I get into all kinds of stuff like that. Like I will talk in terms of religion. I'll talk in terms of their own practical life. Like whatever will get through to them, I will describe it in that way so that it rings true for what they need because it's a distraction. When they go into third perspective, like if they're trying to imagine themselves on stage and then they pop out into seeing themselves on stage, it's easier to see yourself on stage than to actually be on stage. That's an escape. That's your sensory brain trying to escape you out of that place, and you've got to go right back into it and stay in it. Brilliant. It makes so much sense, but until you hear it, you don't realize that's a missing piece of your visualization or your meditation. I really appreciate that. So before we go to questions, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that we cover? I have some tips. I don't know if we want to cover that now or if we want to wait until questions or... We promised them the tips to curb cravings. So let's do a few of those. Okay. So first of all, now listen, this is not a sales pitch, but I've got to say this, okay? If you are really, really struggling with cravings and whether you want to lose weight or not, I'll, I'll take these calls whether you want to lose weight or not. If you are really struggling, really in pain, and this is something you want to resolve quickly the best thing you can do is schedule a call with me. It's completely free. There's not going to be any pressure to join my program. If you're a good fit and it works out, we'll talk about it. The way to schedule a call with me personally is to go to brainflipweightloss.com forward slash talk. Okay? Brainflipweightloss.com forward slash talk. And there you'll be able to schedule a call. You'll get my calendar page and it'll You'll be able to pick a time that works for you. All I ask is that you fill out the form afterwards so that I have an idea of what I'm getting into before the call so I can prepare and customize it in the best way for you. So that's if you're like really struggling and you need to solve this now and like you don't have any other options and you've got to do it quickly, all right? Now, if you, that's not you. If you're doing well, if you're healthy, you're, you feel good and you just want to fine tune, you got some cravings, I'm going to give you some tips that you can use. This won't necessarily work if you're like, hugely suffering from it. But if you're just like trying to fine tune, this is some things you can do. First off, there's a couple different things you can do. You don't always have to lessen cravings by focusing on the cravings. You can also improve the enjoyment of healthy foods. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can either decrease the enjoyment of unhealthy foods or you can increase the enjoyment of healthy foods. And if you want to increase the enjoyment of healthy foods, like love them, listen to some really good music while you're eating it. 
make sure you're in a really good state of mind when you're eating, okay? This leads into my second tip, which is the exact opposite. Don't eat healthy foods while you're stressed out or while you're rushing or while you're arguing with someone or in a fight, like any of that kind of stuff. If you do that, you're going to be associating stress or rushing or arguing or whatever, whatever like that pain with healthy food. And healthy food will become associated with pain even if you consciously aren't thinking that way. All right, We want to be very aware, very conscious of not just the food we're eating, but the state of mind that we're in while we're eating it. All right. You want to take healthy food and you want to give it the respect that it deserves and eat it in a really good state. Good music, good enjoyment, good communication with people. Don't ever argue at the dinner table. All right. If you're having an argument, just like put peace to it. Tell your spouse to watch this and put peace to it for a little while while you eat and then go back to whatever you got to do after that. All right. (laughs) So that's the first thing. The first two things eat healthy food in a really good state. Don't eat healthy food while you're stressed, all right? Now, if you do have cravings come up, all right, what I'm going to say to that is don't allow the cravings, don't allow indulging the cravings to de-stress you or relax you. Get yourself relaxed first from that stress and then go ahead and indulge the craving, all right? Because if you're in the heightened point of stress and you indulge the craving at the same time, you are linking stress to that food that you're craving. And right. you, do, you do not want to reinforce that. All right? So if you're stressed, I'm not saying to not eat it. All right? I don't want you to feel restrictive because restrictive brings on a whole other ball of wax of problems that you don't want to deal with. All right? I do not believe in restriction at all. Okay? If a person has any kind of issues with food, I have them dive straight into them rather than avoid them or restrict themselves. So if you have those cravings, do some belly breathing, do some meditation, do some things to relax first. I'm not saying you need to be in a great state first, but just do some things to relax and then go ahead and have it after that if you want it. Okay? So that's the third thing. The fourth one is I want you to think about disconnecting your indulgence from other linked behaviors. So what I mean by that is that like Things that fire together, wire together. We've all heard that, right? Well, if you eat ice cream and you consistently do it in front of the TV on your couch in the living room, then oftentimes what will happen is if you eat ice cream and you're watching TV, then eating TV can also lead to eating ice cream. It can go in the watching other direction. TV can I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, not eating TV. Well, you, you <laughs> actually, actually, you sort of are eating TV. You're eating something visually rather than physically. Right. That's why we do those things together is because they're sort of similar in that we're taking in things at the same time. If you're watching TV while you're eating, then you're creating associations. Your associations to those foods are at the mercy of whatever you're watching. So whatever state you're going to get into during that you know, movie or episode you're watching, that's what's going to start forming. And if it's negative things and you're forming it enough, it'll create an unhealthy association. So what I want to see people do is if you eat ice cream and, you're eat- and you watch TV, go and eat TV at the dinner table and then go and watch the TV. Okay, like split those two things apart, because if you do it enough, you might not even have a craving. Then you go and sit down on the couch and all of a sudden you want ice cream because that place now becomes associated with eating ice cream. All right. So that's one thing we want to indulge in a different environment consciously than we would normally do it. And another thing is that the areas where we have problems. So like 
if the couch is a problem because you are used to indulging ice cream there, or if like standing at the counter is a problem because you're used to binging when you're at the counter, then you want to change your association to those places. Like a lot of people, if they binge eat at the counter and they're standing up, a lot of people that binge eat, they stand up. It's a pretty common pattern. So I would say, I'll tell you, go ahead and binge eat, but sit down and do it slowly. Don't do it at the counter. And when you're at the counter, now what I want you to do is I want you to form a different association. So do something really positive at that counter so that you can start to reform that association. Okay? So that's the fourth thing. The fifth one is don't ever use junk food as a reward. Mm. All right? And Allison, you know that. That's very common. People form unhealthy associations to junk food when they use it to de-stress from unpleasant situations or when they use it as a reward for pleasant situations. Both are a problem, all right? If you want to have it, just go ahead and enjoy it. But one question I start asking myself on a daily basis, if you're used to rewarding yourself with junk food, is I start asking myself, how can I reward myself without eating junk food in ways that would be even more enjoyable for me? And if you just start asking, like, don't even look for an answer, but if you start asking a question like that, like, how could I reward myself when I do something great without junk food, but have it be even greater reward than junk food? If you start just asking that question and seeking an answer, you will start to find an answer. It'll start to spring up as an inspiration. Absolutely. So those are my, those are my five tips. Healthy food, make sure you eat it in a good state. Don't eat healthy food while you're stressed out cravings don't let them de-stress you make sure you de-stress yourself first and then eat indulge them break apart your linked behaviors from your indulgence so environment change up your environment change up your patterning to your environment and indulge in a different environment than you normally would and then fifth don't use junk food as a reward yeah and i'm definitely uh for so long was guilty of number five, using junk food as a reward or to mask an emotion. And so I think mastering that has been like a major aha moment in my life. And I'm really excited. And, you know, one thing we haven't even talked about, David, is that like, I'm actually not your typical client. No. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about like, and, l- and let's get to questions. Thank you. Great tips. Thanks, Emil. And, um, and Yvonne said something too. Sorry, guys. I'm missing the comments. Oh. Oh, oh yeah. Yvonne said eating sweet potatoes and black eyed peas soup while nice. I watch this. Oh, good. I'm fortunate not to have cravings. Love the info for clients. Oh, good for you, girl. <laughs> well, what, one thing I'd say about that, I'm actually not against eating food while you're watching something, as long as you know it's going to be something that's constructive. Yeah, which is probably what she's doing. Yeah. She's watching something to help her. But I would, still, I would still eat mindfully. I would still like be aware of eating I was talking with a client earlier today. She's on her third brain flip in two and a half weeks. Uh, Someone I got from our podcast. She came in through our podcast and she's on her third brain flip right now. Uh, She's not on the body brain flip. She's done two cravings and an overeating. She's in the overeating right now. But she called me. We we were talking. We had a coaching and I was in the middle of eating when she called me. I was like, I'm eating right now, but it's okay because I've eaten mindfully enough that I know how to be present with my food and be on that kind of call. But I typically don't recommend that to people. When they eat mindfully at first, do it in isolation. And then once you have that, it's like Paul Check is an amazing functional leader in exercise and stuff. He talks about like isolation and then integration. I say the same thing with mindful eating, like eat mindfully first. Once you're really like aware, you can do it in sort of automatic, then you can integrate that into conversation and like things like that. 
watching stuff if it's constructive. I don't want people to become alienated from everyday life. Like if their family's having a special occasion and they're talking or they're watching something, like they should do that. They should enjoy their life. But just like try to be aware of that stuff consciously while you're doing it so that you're aware of what state you're in while you're eating foods. So true. Well, we do have a question from the Facebook event. She had listened to the first podcast and she said that she really connects with your theories about the brain flip. I've seen it in her own life when she became vegan. And she was like, guess I brain flipped on accident, which is what I did. Yeah, a lot of people do. They brain flip on accident. My grandfather is the first one that I realized this with. I didn't realize it at the time. He died many years ago at this point. But when I started to realize the idea of the brain flip, I thought back to my grandfather and realized that he did. My grandfather smoked my entire life. I'm 43 years old. He smoked my entire life. And uh, one day when he was near the end of his life, a few years before he died, he went to the doctor and the doctor said that you have growth in your lungs. Bam, never smoked again. His whole life he smoked and he never smoked again after that. So he had a brain flip, but he didn't have it consciously. So what happened is that when he got that news, it wasn't just the news that brought about the brain flip. He had to have had a visceral reaction in his body physically that like went to his sensory brain and the sensory brain registered that it was like oh wow cigarettes are not safe like this creates our death bam never smoked again so a lot of people that are vegan or vegetarian like that's what ends up happening they see a movie about animal cruelty and all this kind of stuff and then they have a visceral reaction like you probably know when you watched it you had a visceral reaction when you watched that right Allison, yeah, if, sure. you did, if you didn't have a visceral reaction, you would be struggling to not eat meat. Right. And the thing is, is that for me, it came from the health perspective first, because I learned that the studies were showing that a plant-powered diet was the most anti-cancer diet that existed. So for me, losing two parents to cancer being the biggest tragedy of my life, my brain flipped and goes, well, you have to do this so that you don't get cancer. Then I learned about the animal activism side and saw all the videos, and I was like, whoa, never, ever. So you were, you were primed for it at that point. Yeah, so between the two of those, it was like, it's not happening. <clears throat> right. But uh, let me go back through her question. So people ask me if I crave meat or if I want a piece of cheese, but I can honestly answer not at all because it's just not food to me anymore. I totally feel you, girl. But she says that she gained 30 pounds over the three and a half years she's been eating vegan because she's overindulged in vegan junk food. I also feel you, girl. Alcohol and added fats, like vegan butter, vegan mayo, etc. She doesn't have a sweet problem like me. Hers is more fatty, salty, savory. And in this case, she doesn't want to never have any of these types of foods again, but she wishes she had a better griff on how often and how much. So like you were talking about earlier, is it all or nothing? She worked, recently willed and worked her way to 15-pound weight loss, but she would be much happier if she was 20 pounds lighter. She's not overweight. She's active, and she loves exercise, but her weight is a constant struggle. She doesn't want to think about it so much. What do you okay. have to say? All right, so that's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. All right, so first off, um, if she's gained weight since becoming vegan, then most likely there's some kind of nutrients that she was getting in meat that she's not getting, that she needs to find an alternative source for that. So the first thing I'd say is like, make sure you're eating seasonally, okay? Like eat seasonal fruits and vegetables and like whatever you're eating that's vegetarian, if you can eat seasonally, I'm not saying to just eat seasonal foods, but add as much of that in as you can because seasonal foods 
have the highest concentration of those nutrients for that time of year. So that's part of my program is I tell people to eat seasonally, but I don't make it restrictive. I don't say like, you can only eat these foods. I just tell them like, look at the seasonal list and just start adding in as much of it as you can. That would be appealing for you. And Yvonne is saying B12, which is exactly what I was going to say. Thank you, Yvonne. The woman who wrote this may be already taking that. But like sometimes you just need to visit a functional medicine doctor and see what nutrients you're lacking. Doesn't matter what your diet is. We're all usually overindulging on something and lacking in something else. And so if you find out exactly what it is for you, most people that go vegan need more B12, but everyone's different. When I went to get my functional medicine doctor and and get everything tested for me. I was lacking in things that I thought I was eating in abundance of, and it's just because my body wasn't absorbing it the same way. And so a functional medicine doctor can help you with that as well. Right. And another thing to point out about that, one of the reasons I'm into seasonal is because it varies up your diet. A lot of people, like they all assume, like they get into a certain diet and they feel really good at first, but if they keep eating the same foods over and over, their body gets used to it and they need, they need, your body needs variety. That's why we have Seasons. That's actually the, yeah. the, the fact that we have seasons makes it beneficial for us, that it makes us healthier when we eat a varied diet. So I'm not, saying we, I'm not saying we need to go on a rotation where we're like rotating every single day different foods. I mean, some people do that. I think that's a lot of work and I don't think it's that necessary. But when we have like food intolerance or food sensitivities or allergies, like a lot of that stuff is created through repeated exposure to the same complex proteins. So we want to vary up, especially our proteins when that's the case. And if we don't, we can start to get cravings because we're missing something that we need. Um, As far as she was also asking if it's all or nothing, that was the next thing she said, right? Like it's all or nothing. Like if I were to brain flip these things, like the vegan desserts and i forget what things she said but it's not all or nothing it it is at first like when you first started like you cannot eat that food without doing it in a process that brings a brain flip so like when you use a pain tool with like say vegan dessert right if you use it one time and you don't do it another time that's like a child like if you're raising a child and you and you punish them one time and you reward them another time for the same behavior they don't learn it as quickly because they're getting mixed messages your sensory brain the more that you can give it a consistent message of pain in that moment, the quicker you're going to brain flip. All right. Right. That's what you got to do when you're in that process. You've got to be consistent and you've got to stay on track. Once you've actually brain flipped, then you're free. Like Allison is like, then you can have it when you want or you don't have it because you don't have any attachment to it anymore at that point. Now, I do not recommend that anybody on here try to create a pain tool and actually do this with junk food because Allison, you know, from like, now you've been in health, like you're a podcaster. How likely do you think you would have been to actually have a brain flip if you didn't have my guidance to create the pain tool and actually do it? I don't think it would have been deep enough. I think I would have been doing a little bit of bypass. What your questions did were uh, like stimulate me to go deeper and deal with things that I didn't want to talk about, but they were also the things that were triggering the sugar cravings. Right. Basically, when you you start on a process of a brain flip, your sensory brain and your thinking brain both are going to just try to throw up a wall of distractions to stop you in any way they can because they think that you're going to die. Like that literally is what is happening is it feels like a death experience. So you're going to find ways to like, 
some kind of distractions, and it's usually a myriad, like a multiple streams of, of distractions that are going to come up. That's actually my job. Like I guide people. When I guide people through weight loss, through brain flips, even though I'm a weight loss expert, I'm more of like a meditation teacher mm-hmm. guiding people through this than I am like actually a weight loss expert during the actual process, which is good because I'm very adept in, in meditation. That's actually how I was able to develop this is through years and years and years of really intense meditation being able to do this. So I do not recommend, if you want to create a pain tool, at least schedule a call with me first. Like I talked about before, brainflipweightloss.com forward slash talk. I'm not talking about joining my program. Just schedule the call and we'll talk about if you can do this, like if you're prepared to do it, okay? Otherwise, use those five tips that I gave you before you can watch. To answer the question, long story long, I guess, Mindy, is it's not all or nothing, but you've got to stay with it until you have a brain flip. After that, you're able to go off. If you don't have a brain flip, you could stay off it for months and have one little taste and then you're back addicted to it again. Right. All right, Giselle says, we're changing lives, keeping amazing. It's her bedtime on the East Coast. Good night, Giselle. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Giselle. Yeah, so if anyone missed parts of this since we've been on multiple lives, we will repost it with everything in one place. And so, um, David, tell everyone one more time where they can find you online, follow you, and consult with you. Absolutely. So I have a Facebook group called Brain Flip Weight Loss. Mm Mm-hmm. My website is brainflipweightloss.com. And if you want to get in touch with me directly and schedule a call to talk about this, brainflipweightloss.com forward slash talk. Great. Make sure you join his group. You'll learn lots in the group. Uh, make sure you follow him online and just set up that call because why not? It changed my life. And I know, you know, I overcame something that I kind of decided I could never overcome. I just thought it wasn't an option anymore. I thought I was too old. I was too set in my ways and I flipped it. So you can too. Thanks, David, so much for helping me flip and for helping so many other people change their lives as well. It really is an honor for me to be here. Thank you so much, Allison. Yes, I'll see you next time. Bye, Food Hills Nation. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to change their status update from hashtag blessed to hashtag OMG even more blessed than yesterday, hashtag loving life. If you experience any of these symptoms, make sure to tweet a Kardashian immediately.